Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Polygon Alpha podcast, where the Polygon community gathers insights from today's leaders in decentralized finance and crypto. I'm your host, Justin Havens, aka Crypto Texan. Let's get started. On today's episode of Polygon Alpha, we're joined by Travis Cannell, who is the head of product at Orchid. Travis, thanks for being here with us today. How's everything going? Thanks for having me, Justin. Everything's going great. All right. Good to hear it. Uh, so let's just get started with your background, Travis. You know, what is your background and how did you make your way to the Web3 space? Yeah. So uh, I went to college and studied computer science, uh, UCSB, uh, a little while ago. And um, I kind of made my way into the corporate world kind of after that and uh, doing different, well, via a startup. So I was working at a startup in Santa Monica here in L.A., and into it, uh, purchased that startup and uh, actually started working remote, you know, in like 2016 when that happened um, because they ended up shutting the office down in Santa Monica. And uh, I got into kind of growth marketing and uh, doing a lot of stuff on the marketing side um, and then using my technical chops to do measurement accurately and just try to understand what's going on. A lot of growth marketing is just simply making sure that you are very careful about how you're looking at data and making uh, assumptions and uh, conclusions from that data, which is very important. And the bigger an organization you're in, the harder that can actually become because uh, reading what the marketing data is becomes kind of like a tea leaf exercise on, uh, you know, how well your department's doing. <laughs> so, um but uh, I really enjoyed my work at Intuit. I worked on a, a product called QuickBooks Self-Employed, and uh, we helped a lot of people save money on taxes. And um, we grew that from kind of its launch to uh, kind of having millions of users, uh, paid subscribers. Um, or I think, actually, I'm sorry, it was 600,000 by the time that I left, but I think we've it's gone over a million now. And uh, then that brought me to Orchid. So some of my friends from UCSB wanted somebody with uh, technical chops to run the marketing department and at Orchid. And uh, so I first came in to do marketing um, and then I switched over to product. Um, and now I kind of have a little bit of a dual role at Orchid doing a little bit of both. Um, and that's that was about 2018 when I came into Orchid. Um, so I've been here almost four years. This feels like a very long time in the crypto space to be at one company. And uh, as we're kind of chipping away on the same sort of uh, decentralized internet project, uh, but it's a very enticing mission and I and I enjoy the company and the work. Yeah, I think just the idea of a decentralized internet is might be some of the, re like might be one of the main reasons that a lot of people get into this space. Well, I think like the whole number go up concept is also uh, a pretty good, like it's, that's like self-marketing in itself, right? When there are bull runs and people start to FOMO in and then like as the bear market dies, you know, as the bull market dies and the bear market starts to play out, uh, there are more and more people that stick around after every bull market, which is exciting, but you kind of went a different route, um, which is, which is interesting. And so let's just talk about Orchid now real quick. Like what is the Orchid protocol? Yeah, I just had a thought on that. You know, when I was working in the non-crypto uh, space, uh, it was funny. I just had, uh, I just ran into an old coworker at the airport and we were talking, like, Travis, you're still in crypto? And I'm like, yeah. And we were talking about how 
at this Intuit company when we work in Intuit after we were purchased. You know, everyone was talking about crypto. <laughs> and, you know, everyone was watching that first run up when Bitcoin hit, like, I think 1200 or something. And everyone thought that was totally insane. And it was just like in the, it was just the water cooler talk of the town at the startup. And, you know, a lot of people had just made some money. And so people were playing with it. And uh, there's a lot of different opinions on whether it was interesting or stupid. You know, at that point, I was just like, huh, I, 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 I wanted a way to kind of to get into the industry, but at that, uh, that must have been 26, 2015, 2016. It was like there weren't, uh, there was a not a huge ecosystem. There was not m like massive numbers of Ethereum projects happening, and I just couldn't really see a way in just with Bitcoin by itself. Um, and so I just kind of kept that thought. Um, and then when the Orchid opportunity came around, um, that's where I really enjoyed. You know, the, I got to jump in. Um, my friend Jay Freeman, who I knew from college, was one of the original founders of Orchid, is one of the original founders of Orchid and still there. And, you know, our mission is to decentralize the Internet and to make sure that people can get open access to the unrestricted Internet and to try to just make everything a little bit more private and try to build the tools and set the foundation that, um, you know, that we can use together to make that a reality and to prevent not only people uh, that you know are kind of looking at your data, like when you're using Facebook and you just you're like, all right, Facebook, I'm, you know, I'm giving Facebook these pictures and I'm telling Facebook about these sort of things, but I'm getting a benefit from it, you know, to something like an Internet service provider that's maybe harvesting your data, making models about you, and you might not be fully aware of uh, everything that's happening and all the different people in that ecosystem that are harvesting your data. But, you know, I think that's in a nutshell what um, the mission of Orchid is. And then, you know, I can get into a little bit more about how, how it sort of works. Um, but, um, you know, in a nutshell, that's what we're trying to do is to build those little pieces uh, of the decentralized uh, Internet. And it's a very, you know, common marching sort of theme for a lot of the people in the crypto space and a lot of projects. And so it's very exciting. Yeah, and I think it might be a good idea to maybe get your definition of what the decentralized internet actually is. Because I think some people might think that, you know, the internet is already decentralized to an extent, right? I mean, it's just a network of computers that are connected together, right? So, I mean, why is that not as decentralized as it should be? Yeah, I mean, I think that just over time, what's evolved is sort of an oligopoly of different uh, service providers that um, are in an advantaged position to to do different things. I mean, I think also there was kind of this major pact with the internet where we get things for free and uh, in, in exchange for this kind of totally crazy revenue ad model. Um, so when I look at things um, like kind of how different feeds work with Twitter, Facebook, kind of some of these major tech companies, the big fang tech companies. Um, it almost feels like it should be like a public good, how those different algorithms work, but you know, they're kind of really designed to suck your attention into these things. Um, it just seems like a very strange uh, way to optimize. Um, but, you know, when I look, you know, the, the internet, um, you know, kind of, start, I think started out more decentralized than it is now. 
um, you know, just because of these like kind of massive walled gardens that have kind of come up. Um, but also, you know, working in this space for four years and getting a little bit more sensitive to what's happening around the world, you know, you really do see that um, when there's problems in a country or in particular when a government is challenged, you know, one of the first things they're going to do is shut off the internet uh, or try to start restricting the internet. The first thing they're going to do is they're going to shut off, you know, typically if you're looking in Middle East countries, whether it's the Arab Spring that happened or uh, even Russia today, I mean, one of the first things they jump into is like, hey, let's block Twitter, let's block Facebook, let's block all these communication tools that they might use to talk to the West um, or even just to talk to other people. Um, you know, if you look at like Hong Kong or whatnot. Um, so I think, you know, there's centralized points of control in infrastructure and then there's centralized points of control in sort of like the, the software uh, layer as well. If you look at like the Great Firewall of China and different um, firewall technologies that are being exported from China to different countries. So, you know, I think um, the internet is resilient and it is, um, federated and decentralized in many different ways. Um, uh, but, you know, we can do better. And uh, so that's, you know, part of what we're trying to do at ORCID and uh, our VPN, you know, some of the tech that we've built that the VPN sort of runs on um, is all um, along that sort of vein. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the VPN because when I think of ORCID protocol, I really think of a decentralized VPN protocol that's built on the blockchain using financial, you know, incentives, right? Those human coordination incentives that makes Web3 so successful. So, uh, yeah, it, I mean, is it a VPN protocol or is it a decentralized internet protocol? So Orchid, you know, if we were setting aside sort of the mission, if you look at like kind of what we built and, and kind of where we're going, but, um, you know, the first thing that we sat down to do with Orchid was to make sort of like a decentralized marketplace. And um, one of the things that we were like really thought that was important for a decentralized marketplace and a decentralized marketplace means that you don't know, it, like everyone that you talk to might be adversarial. So if like, if, if in a decentralized marketplace, if I go to buy something from you, I just have to assume you're probably trying to screw me. <laughs> you know, like you're probably trying to scam me. You're probably trying to like fake uh, information to make me think that you're more valuable than you are and then get as much money from me as possible. And so one thing that we thought a lot about and that's kind of in our white paper is like, how do you minimize the trust between participants? And the way to do that is with tiny payments, right? So like if we start uh, interacting and rather than me giving you $100 and you giving me a three-year promise that you're gonna give me VPN service, like, what if I just give you like one million or like one one thousandth of a penny, you know, and then I give you another one, then I give you another one and I sort of see, is this service working for me? And then at any time I can cut off service and you've actually received payment for what you've provided. I've paid for what I've provided. Um, and so that kind of creates like this liquid sort of marketplace. And uh, having a VPN is actually, once you kind of come at it from that angle, like having a VPN is, is the first kind of easy thing to make on top of that uh, payment layer, 
because a VPN, if you're sending payments to somebody or you're sending payment, you know, that person might as well forward your traffic as well. So the VPN, so Orchid is a VPN protocol. Um, so Jay Freeman wrote the Orchid protocol. It is separate from WireGuard uh, and some of the other um, open VPN, you know, those are protocols, right? So those are different ways. WireGuard is sort of the new hotness in the space. It's very fast. Um, Orchid's protocol uh, is newer. Um, it's not as fast as WireGuard, but you're sending payments along with the packets, you know? So every, like, I think 10 packets or something, you're actually sending this really tiny payment. And I think that's pretty um, exciting to have uh, these probabilistic payments that we we've built and that we sort of use um, in the four years I've been in the space, I see a few projects like live peer came out and said, you know, Ooh, that's a good idea. We're going to take that. Uh, and then I just see other projects that have kind of quietly started building probabilistic payments and incorporating it into what they're doing. Um, and I think that's, that's exciting. And so we'd love to see this sort of ecosystem growth. Uh, but really we, Trying to think of, you know, if you set aside even blockchains or scalability or just set all that aside and just try to ask yourself, like, how theoretically, how can you send with computers, how can you send the smallest payment possible? You know, that's kind of how we sort of arrived at the probabilistic payment system. We're calling it a probabilistic rollup because really it's like a way of achieving finality using probability, uh, which is different from like the zero knowledge rollups, which are really cool, and the optimistic rollups. Yeah, so that's that's a lot, but hopefully uh, that answered your your first question. Yeah, it did. And can you elaborate a little bit more on how probabilistic rollups compare to other rollup solutions? And and you know we're calling it kind of a probabilistic rollup because I think that's the right framing for it. Um, but uh, you know, like essentially, you have optimistic rollups that are are taking a bunch of transactions and then putting it into one transaction. Um, and then optimistically thinking that, you know, there's not going to be any problems and they deal with those problems later, which is, um, I'm an optimist, optimist myself. So I think it's, uh, it's good to give people the benefit of doubt sometimes. Um, I'm not sure. Um, oh, well then, and then the zero knowledge rollups is using the really cool new zero knowledge, uh, kind of technology and mathematics, which, uh, you know, rolls up all these transactions into a proof. And so then you can sort of prove that these things happen, but you don't have a lot of information about them. Um, you know, those are good for doing more transactions and also having transactions where you need finality. So like if I want to send you $10 one time, you know, it's good to use a, just use the blockchain itself or a roll-up solution. Um, now we're, the probability what what happens is rather than you know me sending you ten dollars, I send you sort of the chance to win ten dollars. Um, that's provably like that the the sort of odds are correct, right? Um, and what that allows you to do is sort of scale up any blockchain by a lot. So, uh, but you know, there's some sort of caveats. So like how we sort of compare is you don't get that sort of instant finality because what's going to happen is like, let's say I'm sending you the chance to win 50 cents. Like, you know, with our VPN right now, you can uh, set up an Orchid account, which is basically like taking money and putting it onto our L2. 
And then you can send these little probabilistic payments as you're paying with the VPN. And what will happen is you need to use the VPN for maybe like 10 gigabytes. So you need to send about 10,000 payments before on average one payment will actually be a winner and money will be pulled out of your uh, Orchid account. So um, probabilistic payments require a service interaction over long longer time scales. So like you, the bandwidth marketplace is a great sort of example. And like the VPN is almost like a test case of a lot of this technology where, you know, um, we're just sort of proving that these things work. Um, but in the VPN, you're sending all these payments um, and, you know, then over time, you know, you as the VPN service provider, you're gonna see like, oh, even though 99% of these like scratch lottery tickets I'm getting from Travis are losers. Like I'm getting enough winning lottery tickets that, you know, the probabilities even out over time and using the law of the kind of large numbers. Um, it's like, oh, okay. I can see that even though 99% of these lottery tickets I'm getting are worthless, I can't prove neither of us can prove that they're not going to be a winner. So, you know, every time you're sending this sort of provable scratch lottery ticket from one person to the other, there is value being sent. Um, but it's not, so it's 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 something that's kind of has a, a pretty particular use case of like people that want to trade a lot over time. Um, you know, we've thought about like, sometimes there's internet services where you want to access a website and, you know, that website has to pay for their infrastructure costs, right? And so those are typically like a bunch of monthly fees to Amazon that are like tiered usage models. Um, well, we're looking at like different ways, like, well, what if you could just send a little probabilistic payment and say, I wanna run your website for, you know, 10 seconds and like, I'll, I'm willing to pay you for all these computational and bandwidth and storage costs that your website is sort of like um, incurring uh, with these tiny little payments. And so as I'm using your resources, I want to, you know, stream payments to you so that you're, you know, you're kind of made whole. Um, and I think that that is a way that we can change some of the, the business models that we see on the internet from um, even everything from, you know, subscription models to like advertising and stuff. That's interesting. Yeah, it definitely, it's a unique way to problem solve for a very specific use case is what I'm understanding from this, right? Yeah, because you a lot a lot of a lot of what's happening in the in the space now, right? So DeFi um transactions being eaten up by DeFi. Like in a you know in a kind of a banking system, you do want that finality and you're willing to pay more for it. Um and you know it's gonna be a small number of transactions. So like you're not gonna you're gonna like do a transaction to stake your token, you're gonna earn some rewards, you're gonna pull that stake and those tokens out, and you're willing to pay to like make sure that that money has transferred. Uh, but you know what, so, so that's kind of like, so I, I think that's one of the, you know, that's kind of like one of the trade-offs um, of how Orchid is working is that, yeah, sure we can send the smallest payments that we theoretically could think about <laughs> and like create, um, but you know, there's a little bit of a setup cost and then, um, you don't get that instant finality 
Uh, we're now running it on eight different blockchains. So we're on Polygon. So you can actually go to our website at account.orchid.com. You can take some Matic and you can put it in to our layer two, our payment network by like making an Orchid account. And um, you can almost think of like, then you have your little lottery pot and you can start sending lottery tickets uh, from that lottery pot to pay for service. And the only, you know, uh, application that we have right now is the VPN. Um, uh, but, you know, that that kind of decentralized payment layer two that we have is definitely useful for, for other things. Um, now, one one thing, another thing I want to talk about is, you know, all the roll-up solutions are sensitive to gas fees. And, you know, typically the roll-up solutions kind of just lower those gas fees. Um, with Orchid, this, this interesting thing happens is the gas fees go up. Like, so like if I'm sending you uh, a lottery ticket, a scratch lottery ticket, um, there's going to be an, a, a winning amount on it, right? And so to kind of just get into the, the, the nitty gritty details here a little bit, like if I'm going to send you, if we're on the, uh, the, the Polygon chain and I'm going to send you, you know, like a dollar, if we just put it all in dollars, maybe a little bit easier for us to think about. But if I'm going to send you sort of a scratch lottery ticket where you could win a dollar, um, you know, you want to make sure that for you to redeem that dollar, uh, it's not going to cost you a dollar and 10 cents in gas fees, right? So the sort of the, the, if you take the ratio between the gas fees of that sort of winning amount, um, you know, that's kind of the efficiency of our system. And so when gas fees like explode and go up, the face values of the lottery tickets have to get a lot bigger. And so you have to put a lot more money in your lottery pot. So what we saw when we launched on Ethereum is that Ethereum, when we started, <laughs> again, I think we launched it in December of, of 2019, we're like, oh, this is, you know, you can do transactions. You could actually run our smart contract for like 20 cents and you could make, you know, you could make your lottery pot and the, and the tickets were like, oh, you know, like a couple dollars. Uh, you know, you could basically put like maybe $10 into your, uh, account using um, Ethereum uh, to pay for gas, and then uh, and, we, and you can make accounts with OXT, and then the the gas fees just exploded on that network until you know now I think if you want to make a sort of Orchid account uh, on the Ethereum chain, you know you have to put in maybe four or five hundred dollars into your lottery pot to have big enough tickets for it to be uh, payment efficient. But then when you look at something like uh, the Polygon chain, it's ex really exciting. I see so much experimentation on the Polygon chain. Um, and it's just that that low gas fees kind of attract um, a lot of the people on the kind of the lower end. And of course, that's really attractive to us uh, as a VPN because, you know, if users can't take $10 of, uh, of Matic and put it into an Orchid account and fire up our VPN, you know, um, people aren't going to want to put hundreds of dollars into something for, you know, just kind of like a VPN uh, benefit where, you know, our competitors like Nord are, are only charging like $100 or $90 for a couple of years of service. On, on the subject of your, I guess, your competitors, like the more centralized VPN services like ExpressVPN and NordVPN, can you just let's get into like the architecture a little bit like how are those vpn services set up and how does orchid 
How is that different from a decentralized VPN standpoint? And kind of what are the trade-offs there as well? Orchid is sort of a permissionless system where, you know, we, we let anybody run a, run a server. Um, right now we have, with a VPN, you know, you want people that run fast servers, right? That have big bandwidth connections because you're literally going to send your internet traffic through them. Um, you know, so Orchid, we actually started with kind of our preferred providers. And so we have like a network of uh, professional um, VPN providers that we set up uh, in uh, a sort of decentralized way. And so when you connect to Orchid, when you kind of like set up an Orchid account, we actually have a fiat gateway in the app as well, which I think I, I you know, if you saw my presentation at Mainnet, um, I was like, Hey, you can actually buy crypto within inside of like 30 seconds and, and actually have your money converted. We use um, the Gnosis chain actually for that, just because the stable coin, because we figure there's a lot of people that don't really understand crypto and don't want the value to sort of fluctuate. And so, um, you know, uh, the, the only drawback is that, you know, because we do know uh KYC is that the the money is like a prepaid gift card. So you can like only spend it with our preferred providers. So, um, but anyways, um, that's just sort of like a, a payment system to get back to kind of like your, your question of like how we sort of differ is, you know, Nord has one, you know, they're going to, Nord has a couple thousand servers um, and, you know, you're going to get access to kind of their system and you're going to pay a subscription. I think that most of the VPN uh, market for the centralized providers is kind of a scam because, you know, you're paying for this monthly fee or whatever, and you just forget about it. And it's just like another one of those like monthly charges, and maybe you're not really using it that much. Um, but you're also like kind of trusting this one provider. So a VPN is an advantage position. Like they can they can see your traffic, they can see who you are and they can see what you're connecting to. And that's why it's so important that these VPN companies come out and say, well, we don't log anything, right? Um, because they could, because they can see both sides of that spectrum. Um, how Orchid's a little bit different is, first of all, so we have not just one provider, right? We have multiple providers. So we have uh, four or five and then just the preferred provider network alone. And you kind of randomly, we have stake-weighted random selection. So those providers have to stake OXT on Ethereum. And the more they stake, the more likely you are to connect to that provider. And so that sort of incentivizes them to, to stake more uh, token, um, you know, which kind of shows that they're, you know, serious about the network and everything. So there's like good incentive alignment effects that happen with the stake-weighted random selection. Um, and then of course, as a user at any time, if you disconnect and reconnect, you go through that selection process again. And so you're, you know, depending upon how the stakes are at that moment in time, um, you know, you're likely to probably get a different provider. So you can kind of switch between these providers. The stake weighted random selection also is kind of hard. If you're looking at this traffic, if some ISP or government is trying to look at this traffic, you know, you're not always connected to one server that's run by one provider, right? You're just kind of like randomly getting assigned in this network uh, with the stake-weighted random selection algorithm, depending on kind of how much they're staking. 
Um, so that's kind of like one major difference is that with Orchid, you're getting a uh, not just a single VPN provider, but you're getting access to like a network of providers. Um, and then another thing is that, you know, these uh, the centralized providers, um, some of them offer like a two hop sort of route, but with Orchid, you can set up as many hops as you as you want. Uh, and what that really means is that your internet traffic, rather than from going to just one ser internet server, like one VPN server, you can actually string them together. So you can hop from one to another to another. And what that really does is it sort of separates who knows what about you. Um, so like the first VPN server you connect to is going to know who you are, but then that server just forwards your packets to another VPN server. So they don't know what website you're connecting to. And then the middle VPN server knows the first VPN server and the second VPN server, but they don't know who you are and they don't know what you're connecting to. And then the last VPN server can see what website you're accessing, right? Because it's forwarding your packets to that website and receiving packets from that website, but it's just sending the packets to some other VPN server, so it doesn't know who you are. So if you, you know, the three hop route is kind of this magic thing that Tor kind of came up with, and you can actually set that up with Orchid. Um, you know, some of the VPN providers, I think Nord has a two hop route, but it's kind of silly because if you, if you send your traffic through two Nord VPN servers, you don't really get much benefit because they're, if they're logging, they're logging both those ser servers, right? So basically with a three hop route, what it means that is that in theory, if everything's kind of working perfectly and um, you know, there's different attacks where people could control more nodes than not, you know, Tor has done a lot of work thinking about, about that, but um, you know, is that you've kind of separated the amount of information that each VPN server has. So even if all of them are logging, you know, they can't really see who you are and what you're trying to access. And um, the last thing I'll say about this is that Orchid actually supports, you know, doing a three hop route, not just with the Orchid protocol, but with OpenVPN and WireGuard as well. So, which is a little bit crazy, um, but, you know, like with Orchid, you can actually make a three hop route and use three different paid VPN providers and not even use Orchid at all. Um, we've had some like happy people that have strung together these like pretty crazy VPN routes where they're sending their traffic through like five different VPN servers, right? So like, let's say you get a subscription to Nord, PIA, and ExpressVPN, and you get three different WireGuard servers. Using Orchid, you could actually import those three different WireGuard server uh, credentials and then send your traffic through three different VPN providers and get that kind of three-hop benefit. Um, you know, that that's a feature that we've had for a while. It's kind of like use it to your own risk. Um, you kind of got to know what you're doing um, to set that up, but... Um, you know, that's kind of like one of the um, the beauties of kind of having a, a very flexible VPN that you can do a lot with. Yeah. And it, I'm glad you mentioned Tor because this sounds very similar to how the Tor network 
networks, right? The the onion routing network where you have at minimum, you know, three different nodes that your internet data packets go through and that creates a, a you know, anonymity. It's always three. Three is like kind of the magic number. Sorry to, to jump in a little bit, but three is, it's never four, it's never two, it's never 10. It's always three with Tor. And they kind of, and that's that's important because you don't want, Tor is very, Tor is very sophisticated. Uh, we like Tor, you know, we, uh, it's, it's very evolved and it, you know, they do a lot to make everybody look the same. You know, even if you're using the Tor, like, first of all, too, Tor is a, a browser. Orgid's a VPN. So those are different things, right? So a browser is just a browser. You can just browse the internet. A VPN, you know, if you put Orchid on your phone, all your internet traffic on that device is going through the VPN. It doesn't matter if you're using an app, if you're using Facebook or Twitter or whatever you're using, how that whole device's connection is going through the um, the VPN server, whereas Tor is just a browser. So if you open up the Facebook app on your phone, you know, that's not using any sort of protection. It's only the Tor browser. What you're looking at in the Tor browser is protected. So, um, but that, you know, minimizes the attack surface. So Tor is very good at minimizing the attack surface. And, um, you know, like even if you're using the desktop app, they recommend that you don't change your screen size. Because if you change your screen size, well, now, like when you connect to a website, they can see how big your monitor is, you know, when you full screen. And so then that's information that can then de-anonymize you from the crowd, right? So when you run tour, just keep everything sort of the default settings and you're kind of like mixing in with the crowd where uh, you don't ever want to sort of stand out. And then contrasting that to Orchid, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. If you're adjusting your screen size or if you're getting on certain applications on your phone or on your desktop it, it's all anonymized like basically you're getting privacy from um your isp and you know some different protections like that you know in, in, in Oracle, we, we kind of have in our faq we kind of get into like some of the privacy um angles and security aspects of it um uh in a little bit more detail um but yeah i mean on the internet it's hard to say you're always, you know, truly anonymous. Right? I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different uh, tools and techniques that, you know, maybe we don't even really fully understand um, that different powerful uh, governments are using. Um, so, uh, you know, but uh, certainly it's, it helps. It, and also, I, I guess another way to think about it is like, do you want, you know, uh, trying to be fully anonymous from like the US government. Okay, kind of good luck. But then also, uh, you know, but also just being more private from private individuals that can buy information about you, you know? Um, so it's kind of like, who's your sort of adversary? Uh, you know, a lot of when you start thinking about this stuff, uh, it's like kind of what are you trying to get protection from? Who do you want to be private from? And, um, you know, a lot of what Orchid can kind of provide is like from ISPs, from other people that are trying to get data about you, different things like that um, is one helpful kind of way to think about it rather than like, oh, you're, you know, you're using this and just so like you're like perfectly safe from anything. <laughs> right? 
uh, that's a pretty tough guarantee. And I think even if you look at Tor's website, and like I said, Tor has minimized their attack surface. Um, and Tor runs in like really hot regions, you know, it helps a lot of people. Um, you know, they do not say that they offer like full anonymity. And I think how they kind of approach it is good. So, um, you know, it's good to be kind of honest about those things uh, when you're talking about them, uh, especially at this day and age where, you know, if you, you there's so many regions where you can get arrested for different things online. And so um, got to be very careful. So, yeah, I think I think that's really interesting that Orchid uses them that those multiple hops similar to tour. And you also talked about how, you know, you're, you know, you're the VPN node that you're using that's on the Orkin network is getting reassigned periodically. Like how often is that getting reassigned? Is it every new website that you click? Is it getting reassigned or is it just kind of random? That would be a little bit onerous because there's a kind of setup process, but um, it, it's, it's not random. I mean, it's controlled by you. So like basically when you op open up the Orkin app and like once you kind of have an, uh, an account set up uh, so you can pay for service, you know, and you hit connect, you kind of go through the the stake with a random selection service and you get paired with a VPN server. And then, um, you know, if, if, you know, to reconnect or to get a, a different sort of VPN server, you'd have to disconnect and then reconnect. Um, kind of on our to-do list is to make like a, a, a re-roll button so you could press it and basically without um, dropping any of your traffic sort of like in a kind of safe way, reconnect, but it's pretty easy to just hit the button to disconnect and then reconnect. And then, you know, uh, um, if you kind of look closely, you'll notice that, you know, your IP address will, will change. Uh, if you go to a website, like what is my IP address, right? When you connect to a, a VPN, you want to go see like, Oh, is it, you know, does this website really, um, think, uh, you know, I'm connected to a VPN server and like, if so, where, and uh, with Orchid, you, go, you know, when you disconnect and reconnect, you're very likely to get it paired off with a different uh, provider. So, um, yeah, and then the, the, the multi-hop routes with Orchid, again, I would just say that it's like, it's kind of a feature that's a little bit buried, that not really buried, but you just have to like go in and actually set up your route. So a lot of people that are using Orchid, um, you know, I think, one of, the, one of the easiest use cases is actually to not is a, is a little bit less about privacy and more about getting access to the open internet. So it's kind of just like I don't want my internet connection to be seen like I'm in uh, Indonesia, for example, because Indonesia has a firewall. Um, strangely, in Indonesia, what's in, you know it's a very interesting market to me because. VPNs are legal, so you can advertise them there and you can use them to get around their firewall and they don't care. So it's very weird. <laughs> like, like the government sets up a firewall and then is like, yeah, you can get around it if you want, <laughs> you know, like if you download a VPN. So it just creates this like massive market for everyone there to use a VPN. Um, but, you know, they're using it less for privacy. Sure, they want privacy because they might be looking at some sensitive content and they don't want the government to like be tracking that. Um, but, um, you know, it's like they're trying to look at Reddit, for example, like Reddit, I think is totally blocked in Indonesia just because there's some nudity on parts of the website. So they just block the entire domain. Um, that's kind of how a lot of these firewalls work. And so, you know, um, 
you know, you don't need a multi-hop route or some sort of complicated configuration to just get access to the open internet and, and just access the web like an American or a Westerner. Let's pivot the conversation a little bit and talk about the OTX token and the its tokenomics and its its use case in the protocol. Because uh, when I take a step back and I, I look at this, it's it's truly a utility token, you know, and I, I think I see this a lot with other Web3 infrastructure protocols like Arweave, Helium, Filecoin and Link and then OXT is that it you use this in the protocol, right? So it's what is the use case for the OXT token within the ORCID protocol? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, one, like, when I, I think about this as part of the evolution of ORCID is like, you know, there's this, there was this kind of simple story where you take OXT, you put it in your ORCID account, and that's how you pay for VPN service. Uh, but because OXT is on the Ethereum network, and the gas fees on Ethereum um, are fairly unusable for uh, application kind of small use cases like a VPN where you know people are sensitive in the five to ten dollar range um, uh, or even the hundred dollar range sometimes on Ethereum. Um, we had to kind of look in and really understand if you needed if we if we needed that because the other side of what how OXT works is is on the provider side. And that's where, um, you know, we kind of have this bandwidth for marketplace, you know, and so you have people selling and buying and all the users are buying. And uh, how do we direct that flow of traffic in a way that incentivizes good behavior on the network? And that's where the stake-weighted random selection comes in. And so, you know, the providers stake to varying amounts OXT to get more deal flow. Um, and we think that that's kind of an interesting model for a decentralized marketplace. Um, and that's kind of how Orchid's been running um, since we set it up. And, you know, we did some analysis and we thought that like, okay, we can actually open up the payments on eight different blockchains, but it's just like sort of providers accepting different like MasterCard or Visa or something, right? So. If you're an Orchid provider and you're running a VPN server um, and you have a you have a good stake and you're getting a lot of deal flow, those people could be paying you in Ethereum, Aurora, uh, Matic, um, you know, XDAI on the Gnosis chain. You know, basically those eight different blockchains that we're on. You know, you know, basically we realize that the provider probably doesn't care, like what currency they're getting paid in just as long as they're getting paid for uh the service that they're providing and but you know the staking for providers is done only with oxt on ethereum all and that's you know just we have no chain plans to change that sort of ever um and so we think, you know, as we kind of grow the VPN network over time, you increase the deal flow that is coming in and then um, you know, like more providers want to participate uh, in the stake weighted random selection process. So uh, we think it's a pretty interesting dynamic. You know, one thing I'll I'll say about OXT is that like we've never and, and have no plans, but like we've never really wanted to do um, incentive plays. Like 
So basically to have people run infrastructure just to receive rewards. So we've never done any sort of reward system on the provider side, which is very, very common. Um, and I just think that it kind of incentivizes like weird, weird stuff. Like wh what we want to do, what we want to incentivize is having an app that people will pay for. <laughs> like, and that's very hard, but you know, if we just kind of like, well, oh, we don't have anybody provided, we don't have any use, and let's just like pay people to kind of like fake it. Like, we really don't believe in that. And, um, you know, we've seen a lot of projects kind of now being in the, in the space for a while, we see a lot of projects like kind of these hype cycles. Like, I think um, there was a thread on Helium, and I haven't like fully investigated that, but, um, you know, uh, it seems like they are incentivizing all these people to run this sort of low bandwidth network and it doesn't appear that they have, it's, it's kind of like a big field of dreams play, right? Where you incentivize, like build out this huge network and then you hope that then people actually pay for it, that you actually have a service that customers will pay for. Um, and of course, you know, in our hyper-capitalistic society, that's the very hard part, right? Because consumers are tight with their money and they have different choices. And so to come up with a decentralized offering that um, is, is very competitive um, and can attract those dollars from the centralized providers, that's that's the really hard part. Because a lot of people might not even really care that it's crypto. So um, our VPN, you know, we uh, have a long-term view um, with it. Um, but we think that that's kind of an exciting application. Um, but I think a lot of the applications that come out and do too much network incentives, um, you know, are kind of obscuring what's really happening and if they're, you know, how much use they're really getting. So we like things like the Web3 index is kind of cool to kind of track, uh, you know, a lot of projects that are getting traction um, and that try to, you know, any attempts to try to kind of separate those things out. Um, at Orchid, I'll just say we don't really like to track anything. So we have no cookies on our website. We have no tracking in our app. We really don't want to, you know, we've fought, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth a little bit about this, but it's like we also don't want to set up any reporting mechanisms or tracking mechanisms on usage. It's just not something that we're like really, um, big on is sort of creating any sort of, uh, you know, data warehousing project to kind of collect information on what's happening on our network. And uh, even if it's just to kind of show the amount of usage and stuff like that. I guess this really could use the blockchain for some of that tracking, right? From, from like an adoption standpoint. Yeah, that's, there's been some people that kind of look at our smart contracts and they can infer usage from that. But again, it's like, there's ways to do it, but we don't want to just like make it easy for everyone. I figured that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes, yeah, no, that does make sense. And then for user data, kind of like, um, uh, we still, we still use a few tools. I think we'll probably wind down eventually. Um, you know, like we have MailChimp, uh, and some different things like that for, uh, opt-in, um, kind of users that need help and, and would like to use some of those tools. I think eventually we'll sort of like wind those things down. Um, but, you know, we just never want to be in a position where, you know, we have uh, Google Analytics or we have some sort of like serious analytics engine 
that has a bunch of user data that then could be corroborated with individuals by uh, an adversarial entity like a, a, a you know like a smaller government uh, that's trying to find dissidents, political dissidents. And so you know the game of de-anonymization is it trolling and getting as much information as possible, and then trying to connect the dots, right? So the smaller information footprint you can kind of have, the harder that that's going to be. So at Orchid, we just don't, we try not to track really anything. Yeah. And on the, on the stake weighted random selection for the VPN providers, could you ever get into a situation where you have a large staker of the OXT token and, but they have like low bandwidth? And if so, like what, I mean, what, what do you do in that situation? Good question. Um, the question would be, why would a provider do that? Because, you know, the 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 answer so is a little bit of in sort of like an economic alignment. Um, it's kind of like, why doesn't somebody, you know, like Bitcoin has a little bit of that, right? Like, why doesn't somebody, you know, get 51% of the hash power of Bitcoin and then destroy Bitcoin? <laughs> because, because you'd have to spend like billions of dollars to do that. And then what's your return, right? So, um, you know, so the st part of what the stake, the stake weighted random selection does is, is when the provider has to, you know, buy a bunch of OXT and expend that economic resource and stake it, um, that they're incentivized to not do a bad job and destroy things. So that one particular attack of like having kind of like an Uber provider, that's kind of, uh, you know, what's preventing that. I mean, I think um, over time, like our, our kind of stakes are like pretty kind of evenly distributed now um, ish, um, but um, we'll see kind of how that sort of happens over time. Um, I think the Orchid VPN project is still, it's, I think it's still kind of, early um and it's just going to take um you know the time scales of like how long tour has been around to like really grow and, and kind of like uh you know but we've kind of built the foundation with the right levels of decentralization um that i'm still um you know i think it's still a cool project and stuff um and now we're looking at you know with the tools that we've built with our uh, decentralized bandwidth marketplace, what other kind of decentralized marketplaces we can build. Um, and, you know, our, our founder has been talking about, about that a little bit. And another question that I've, I've personally had, cause I've done like some research on the internet about, you know, using Tor and a VPN at the same time. And there are a lot of people who say that using the Tor browser with a, a VPN is actually less private than just yeah, using do one it. or the other. Yeah. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what? Why is that the Why is that the case? It's it's always a a, a bit of a head scratcher, but um, you know, it kind of relates back to like this attack surface. So, when you're using a VPN, you're pumping all of your traffic, you know, through um, through the VPN. So there could be parts of your internet traffic that could de-anonymize you. So like your Windows machine is doing some sort of Windows update, right? Or you know. Um, you know, your, your machine, you know, you're, you're running all this software, all this software is just sort of like out of control, phoning home, doing these different things. And in a VPN, you see all of that. So if you're a VPN, 
if you're an adversarial VPN provider and you're logging this kind of stuff, you know, you're getting a lot, again, it's getting, get, gets back to this, like how much information are you putting out there? You want to put out a small amount of, smaller information footprint is better, right? So when you use a VPN, you're putting all your traffic through. So it's kind of like the, I think that's a part of um, why they're talking, why they say that <clears throat> is, is for that reason. Um, you know, for listeners that are like really interested in this, definitely go to Tor's website. I know that they have information about from their perspective, and they probably are going to put it a lot more eloquently than I am right now. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, it's basically when you're using Tor, just download the browser, <clears throat> use it as they say to use it, don't resize your screen. Um, you know, that's going to that's gonna have the kind of the smallest like kind of attack surface uh, for, you know, and um, and you basically, you know, use Tor as Tor, right? <laughs> you don't need to make, you don't need to do anything crazy to make Tor better than it is. Just listen to what Tor says, do what they say. And, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's, you're going to get the biggest benefit of Tor um, for that reason. Yeah, it was definitely, I definitely did my research after I heard that. And I, I got to the point where I understood it enough but that was like a year and a half ago, and I've forgotten everything since then, right? So um, I just got a couple more questions for you because it looks like we're running up on time. But I want to know, like, what's next for Orchid after, you know, are there other products in development outside of a VPN? Are you working on your own browser? Yeah, you know, we don't publish a, a roadmap at Orchid and, you know, the community kind of um, we're, you know, what we're working on is what we're working on. Um, but, you know, we... Um, as kind of uh, our CEO, Seven Waterhouse, and um, or Dr. Stephen Waterhouse, we call him Seven, um, and Jay Freeman, whose name is Sork online. Um, you know, they've been kind of talking about, um, you know, we're looking at other uh, things along the lines of a decentralized marketplace for bandwidth, other things that where a decentralized marketplace makes sense, you know, other places where our, uh, our layer two could be useful for um you know kind of the use cases i was saying before of of trading over longer periods of time for different things um you know so we're definitely taking a lot of the technology and things that we learned you know like org is 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 really cool in my mind because we built all these things and then we built an application right and a lot of a lot of people in the in the in the crypto space just build a lot of things and then they're like waiting for other people to build applications right and we kind of did it all and then we got known as our application um but i think a lot of where orchid's going to be going is going back and saying like hey we actually built all this stuff that the application is sitting on and you know our vpn is sort of like a demonstrator of some of these core pieces of tech like our payment layer um, like stake-weighted random selection and other different things that we've kind of worked out. And now we have years of operational history to kind of see how it's played out. Um, and so, you know, the ORCID VPN is kind of like a, you know, uh, training ground kind of. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, sorry, a little bit with a little bit of a non-answer there, but again, we don't really publish a, uh, we don't publish a, a roadmap, so. Sure. Just waiting for more composability on top of your protocol is kind of what I'm hearing. 
in general. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we are kind of running up on time, but yeah, this has been great, Travis. I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, where can people go to find out more about you and orchid? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, uh, orchid, we do a lot of stuff on Twitter. It's probably one of our biggest platforms. So we're at orchid protocol and we have orchid.com. So those are the two places to learn about the community and the project and what are, what we're putting together. Um, you know, we have a pretty active discord as well. Um, and yeah, then I'm, uh, at Travis canal on Twitter. So you can find me there. All right. Thanks. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who's listening and watching, uh, be sure to find us on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, or Substack or anywhere else that you can find a podcast. Uh, Travis, thanks again. And I'll see you next time. Really appreciate it. <laughs>